Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. Is God all right? How many know this is a teaching church? It's a teaching ministry, right? In fact, that's why you're here, right? Yeah. God gave us his word. He sent his word to heal us and deliver us from our destruction. He sent his spirit to engage us in that word, to activate us and make the kingdom of God a reality to us, because only the Holy Spirit can make the kingdom a reality. And third, he gave us the church community, the church locally and the church universally. He gave us these three things to build us and strengthen us. And as we talk about the signs of the times, I'm going to use this as a great teaching opportunity to give, to, to really sharpen your lens on things that's happening. I was in Washington, D.C. on Monday for some meetings, and in the evening of Monday, a town hall discussion about the queen, uh, her funeral, the whole idea of the Anglican church, because the queen is actually the head of the Church of England. And of course, here in America, we have this thing called separation of church and state, so there is no state church or state-established religion. Intentionally here, our fathers set that up, fathers and those who founded this nation. But it was a great conversation because the queen actually appoints uh, bishops and archbishops, and the Archbishop of Canterbury is the spiritual leader of the Church of England, the Anglican Church. So it's an interesting conversation about her 70 years and the whole issue of church and state separation here in America. And of course, that's language that came from a letter that was sent by Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, an incredible observer of American culture, said, you know, we say separation of church and state, and yet the church has done more to influence the state than any other entity in American culture. And that is so true. We have a responsibility to urge those in power, those who are making decisions about the quality of life. How many know that every decision that those in power make that affects our quality of life is a moral decision? It's a moral judgment. And we have a responsibility to urge them to make those decisions and judgments, right, based upon God's perspective of the nature of humanity and the God's perspective on the ordering of society. We have that responsibility. Thank God that we have that voice and we need to utilize that prophetic voice. But in order to do that, we have to have a perspective given to us by Scripture. The study of the Word is critical. And I will tell you, we've come through a time of great superficiality in the church. Try that one more time. We've, we've gotten a gospel that's been watered down and we've created superficial Christians. In other words, there's been no depth. There's been no depth. And that's called stony ground. And that's where you get excited. So there's emotion and excitement around the word, but there is no depth because there are no roots so, when tribulation comes, when opposition comes, when all of those things come at you, you're not prepared. So, what happens? You pass out. 
And Jesus said that that's some of the soil. Now you could see, how many are familiar with the four soils? Right? Yeah. Now you could see that as separate types of heart conditions into which the word is, uh, is sown. But it can also be interpreted or looked at as a progression. Because you may start out as wayside. I will tell you, the gospel came to me early in my life, and, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't mean much to me. Let it go. How many received the gospels several times before you actually gave your life to Christ? You were exposed to the message, right? We were, we were, we were wayside, right? And, you know, you can go through a process of moving from wayside to, to stony ground, to thorny ground, and actually move towards uh, good ground, right? And then through a progression of production of fruit, because we're on a spiritual journey and growing. So we could see it as individual types of soil. We can also see it as a progression, a journey that one can go through in order to reach good, solid relationship and context in their faith. But at the end of the day, knowledge of the Word of God is critical. That's what preserves us. That's what strengthens us. That's what equips us. When Jesus went up against the devil in the wilderness, what was he equipped with? He had the, the Word. What did the devil come at him with? All right, some of you have been reading the book. Amen. Often we get visitors who come to CCC for the first time and they see you with your computers open, your laptops, your notebooks, writing, whatever technology you may be using, and they are amazed because to come to church and see people taking notes is not common. I'm going to try that one more time. To come to church and see people taking notes is not common common. How many have gotten used to it in here? It's like, oh, we're supposed to. That's what we do, right? Yeah, but it's not common in many churches because too often we are taught to hear sermons instead of learning truth. And there's a difference. And sermons are great. They can inspire you, and we need to be inspired. But transformation takes place from learning truth because only truth sets us free. And he said, if you continue in my word, right, you will know the truth. Then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth has the power to transform your life. And how many know truth is not always pleasant? How many have been pained by truth? But you've been bettered by truth. So the church is the pillar and ground for what? The truth. The truth. So in, in that reality, the prophets promised that the time would come where God said, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So you will no longer be dismayed fearful, or lacking. Did you hear that? What did he promise? I'll give you what? Shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you. So the heart of God is that the sheep be fed. 
And it's by feeding them with knowledge and understanding that you remove the elements of fear, anxiety, ignorance, and all of those things that undermine human flourishing. And at the end of the day, God wants you to flourish. How many believe that God wants you to flourish? In every aspect of your life, the gospel is holistic. It seeks to impact in a positive way every aspect of your existence and every aspect of human existence. It shapes how you see and understand the world around you. Very, very, very important. So the study of the Word is not only what you do in here on Sunday, but it's what you do on a daily basis. You have the responsibility. See, let me say this. When you were a baby, your parents fed you. But you also learned over time how to feed yourself. So in as much as you come here and you are fed, you also have the responsibility to feed yourself. To search the scriptures, to grow in the knowledge of scripture. Jesus said, I and my word are one. So your relationship with the word, all right, is an expression of your relationship with Jesus. Because he and his word are one. I have a passion for the word. So when we come in here on a Sunday, I'm sharing with you out of the overflow of my studies. My ongoing relationship with the Lord. Through the gift of teaching, yes. But also through the time and study that's put into it. And when you study on a regular, you will have what inside of you is necessary to respond to everyday life. Not just to respond to when people ask you about your faith in Christ, but to respond to everyday life. Are you with me? Whether it's on the mundane things of everyday life, or whether it's on the higher level things of philosophies and ideologies that are trying to influence our world and our culture. Someone asked me, we were talking about the fall of the Soviet Union. How many ever heard of the Soviet Union? <laughs> Come on, raise your hand. Don't leave me by myself. <laughs> 70 years it lasted, and it was built on a, an ideology of socialism, right? It was called the Soviet Republic, Union of so USSR, Union of, Socialist, so, <laughs> Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, right? And uh, it lasted for 70 years, and by 1991, 89 began really, but 91, it collapsed as a society. And there was, an up, there was upheaval. Russia emerged, right? And Putin's whole idea is to reconstitute the Soviet Union, but not as a Soviet Union, but to reconstitute it as Russia, to expand out and claim territory. Do you understand that that's what's going on in the Ukraine? All right? So how do I, as a Christian, understand that ideology of socialism? Well, from a biblical perspective, right, through a biblical lens, I'm taught by Scripture in something called original sin, that Adam and Eve made a personal choice, but that personal choice, for which I'm not being punished, however, their personal choice created a condition 
that I was born into. So death passed upon all humanity from Adam and Eve up until now. Got it? It's like someone, how many, how many have been the victim of other people's choices? Yeah, why? Because they created a condition that now impacts you. So what we believe, all right, as Christians, is this thing called original sin. So sin fell upon all human beings, infected, impacted all human beings. So we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. So humans are broken and wounded and in need of redemption. Are you with me? Humans are wounded and broken and in need of redemption. They are separated from God and in need of redemption. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. All right? And that's where salvation really begins because there are people who don't think they need to be saved. They think, I'm all right. They don't need a redeemer. They don't see a savior because they don't see themselves in the condition that the Bible states all of humanity is in. So that tells us that any attempt to build the perfect human being and to create a utopian or perfect society, any attempt by human beings to create a perfect society, utopia, right? And any attempt to create the perfect human will fail because only Christ can redeem humanity and restore Eden. I'm going to try that one more time. How many believe that only Jesus Christ can restore and redeem humanity? All right? Is that what the Bible teaches us? Right? He came that the world might be saved. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many believe John 3.16? All right, good. Y'all make sure you talk back to me. I'm leaving. So, so God did that. So we believe that, you know, it's funny because there, there was a situation where Jesus healed a man by forgiving his sins. And the religious leaders were shocked and went after him because he had the audacity, the nerve to forgive sins. Because amongst the religious leaders, they believe that only Yahweh, only God can forgive sin. So who was this man? Who did he think he was to say your sins are forgiven? So Jesus responded by saying, well, which is easier for me to say be healed or your sins are forgiven? It doesn't matter. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power, authority, has been sanctioned by God to forgive sin. That's why I said it. So here's the thing. If we believe the message of the gospel, that Jesus has the authority to give sin, and the only one besides God that has the authority to forgive sins, then apart from him, how can our sins be forgiven? He is the eschatological judge. He is the one that has the power to forgive sins. And that's why we go to him. So only God can redeem humanity 
right? Fallen humanity. And only God can restore Eden. And what is Eden? The original intent in the mind of God that was perfect and beautiful and flourishing. Ever since then, we come up with all these ideologies to try to reestablish Eden. And it's going to fail. Why? Because human nature is flawed. How many know, here's a principle, present at the inception of every human institution are the seeds of its own destruction. I'm going to try that one more time. Present at the inception of every human institution are the seeds of its own destruction. Why? Because of the institutor man. So you have imperfect people trying to establish something perfect. It's going to fail every time. So no matter, no matter what form of government or ideology you come up with, only Jesus Christ can redeem a human person, can redeem the human person, and restore Eden. So no matter what's promised to you, and America is not Eden, you look shocked. It's a form of government, right? By representation, checks and balances. It's an incredible experiment in a democratic republic, one of the best in, 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 in history. But we got all of our flaws. Why? Those humans. Those flawed humans. So no matter what someone comes up with that they're going to establish and bring to, bring to pass utopia, perfect society, not going to happen. Only Jesus Christ can redeem a hum the human person and restore Eden. Now, whether you recognize it or not, this is good preaching. So, it empowers you to quickly eliminate and filter out all the stuff that's being presented to you. Unless you don't believe this. If you don't believe what, I'm just shared, what I've just shared with you, then you'll get caught up wrestling with all the ideologies that are flying around. And I'll tell you, the 20th century has been a century of ideologies. Every ism imaginable has been presented to us as a culture around the world, as a society, as humanity around the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, only Jesus Christ can redeem the human person and restore Eden. Where does that come from? The Word of God. Where does that come from? The Word. You've just been empowered to address any ideology presented to you that promises you Eden and a redeemed humanity. You've just been equipped. I just powered you up. I prepared you for the conversation. And listen. This is how it works. Whenever God gives you something, it's because something is coming your way that you need to be prepared for. He wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. So the word shapes our thinking, our understanding, our perception, so that we can respond from a biblical perspective and manage our expectations. And manage our expectations. Disappointment is never based upon what you find. It's always based upon what? What you 
expected to find. So I want to dig a little deeper, and signs of the times doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and talk to you for the next couple weeks or several weeks about all the things that the devil is doing. We need to talk about what God is doing. That's what's important. In one of the early churches I went to, after I got saved, they had testimony time. And that was a part of the service where people would pop up and testify. Some testified, but it was supposed to be testify. And it was interesting how the majority of the conversation was about what the devil was doing. And that's a problem. If that's what's foremost in your thinking, if that's what dominates you, what should dominate you is what God is doing. Doing in your life personally, you pay attention to what the devil is doing, right? You manage that, but what drives you, inspires you, and transforms you, and excites you is what God is doing. And I've actually had conversations with people, and they're telling me, the devil's been busy, the devil been busy. Yeah, he better be busy. <laughs> and I've, I, I, after they've run through all the stuff that they've been dealing with, I said, well, so, so what's God doing in your life? And it's like, huh, huh, what? You want what God is doing in your life to be foremost in your thinking and your experience. When you wake up, you're praising him for another day, thanking him for another opportunity to live in his presence and experience his mercy, experience his guidance, his protection, his provision. Another day. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're going to talk about what God's doing. And in order to understand what God's doing, you have to understand how God works. Praise the Lord how God works. That's important. So we're going to go there. So Jesus, he, he rises from the dead. How many found out about that? <laughs> and after his resurrection, the scripture records that he was seen and interacted with some 500 people. And of course, he interacted with his disciples. The book of Acts Chapter 1 says that he spent some 40 days with them. And please, when you see numbers like 40, all right, know that they can have double reference. They can be specific, literal, 40 days or 40 years, right? Or symbolic of time spent. And the number 40 is a probationary period. So here's the interesting thing. He spends 40 days with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. And Luke, who's the writer for the book of Acts, of course, the gospel of Luke as well, opens up in verse 1. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1. So we, we're going to have to move a little quicker because that clock doesn't appreciate my sermon. And that's not an indictment to those of you in the control room. Let it run out. You're doing your job. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm in the King James Version this morning. I still love the King James. In fact, I quote in King James and then have to transfer it over. Because the the beauty of the King James Bible is amazing. So verse 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Remember, Luke's writing in the Gospel of Luke was an explanation to bring clarity to all the things that Jesus did and taught. Verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And remember the commandments he gave them, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He also talked about love and other things as well. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, which refers to the cross, by many infallible proofs being seen of them, how long? 40 days. And speaking of the things pertaining to what? So after his resurrection, his, his interactions, what was his conversation about? What was his conversation about? The kingdom of God. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When? So listen, what is he telling? And this is consistent. Why? Because what did he tell him? Go into all the... Come on, talk back to me. And do what? Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Baptize. Right? Take this message and spread it around the world. That was what he was saying to them. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days, many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? These early Christians were Jewish Christians. And they were influenced by the Hebrew Scriptures, which promised that when Messiah came, he would remove the people of Israel from oppression under Gentile power. That didn't happen yet. Because though he was alive from the dead, right? They were still, Jerusalem, they were still under Roman rule. So in their mind, Messiah came, they acknowledged him, his resurrection, his death, all of that, but there were still things that were unfulfilled. 
So they wanted to know, which was a fair question. Are you going to at this time? Because remember, Messiah would be son of David. He would sit on the throne of David and of his kingdom there would be no end. That was a prophecy. So they're reaching back into the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, right? To understand Jesus' relevance and what he should be doing in their mind. This is why John the Baptist was confused when Jesus didn't do more. So they asked him, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And it's interesting because he had already said in certain places, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Therefore, your house is going to be left to you desolate. House meaning the nation of Israel. He was talking about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, right? He said, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to a nation that will bear its fruit. Who would that nation be? The new nation that he would create called the church. And don't think of a nation in terms of a geographical location. Think of a dominion. Got it? And yet, what were they still asking? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel as though he came only for Israel. And this was the challenge that Peter had. He was so nationalistic in his mindset, so Judeocentric, that he could not see that the gospel was to go out to the world. It wasn't just for the Jews, but part of God's plan and promise to Abraham is that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Messiah. And it prohibited Peter from being the kind of apostle that he could have been. How many read the book of Acts about Peter's experience on the rooftop? Before, in order to get him to go to the house of Cornelius, the Gentiles. So do you understand why God had to raise up an apostle Paul? Because the existing apostles were so Judeo-centric that they couldn't see beyond their own community. And guess what? It can be true of us. We can be so ethnocentric that we can't see beyond our own context, our own communal context. And look at Jesus' response. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the what? Oh, I can't hear you. The what? The times and the, come on, seasons that the Father has put in his own power. There's another word missing here. It's called ages. Get that. Times, seasons, and ages. So Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has kept in his own power. In other words, the Father has reserved the knowledge of what's going to happen and how human history is going to play out. He controls that. He controls human history. How many believe that 
God the Father controls human history. He better. And, and, and they tried to distract Jesus, trying to get information that they weren't prepared for, nor was he willing to give them. So what does he do? He brings the conversation back to, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They were hung up on the reestablishment of the reign and rule of God on the earth, which was legitimate. It was good. Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he has a plan. He has an agenda for this new period. And that agenda would be launched on the day of Pentecost by empowering these men and women with the Holy Spirit to begin a new age or a new period in God's administrative plan with humanity in his overall plan of redemption. So they were caught up on the kingdom to Israel. And he was saying, no, there's an agenda here. Got to get this message out to all the nations. And in fact, they were still stuck on it that it took persecution in Jerusalem in order to push them out of that comfort zone so that the, the message would spread. Let I me mean, know God's got to throw in a little persecution sometimes. Turn your neighbor and say, neighbor, nothing like a little persecution for motivation. <laughs> God will use circumstances, situations, events in order to get his will done. If certain things didn't happen, you wouldn't be where you are today. Certain situations, certain circumstances, certain people, certain events influence and shape who you are today and where you are today. Turn your neighbor and say, he's preaching to me now. So God has divided history into what? God has divided history into what? God has divided history into what? So it's important for us to know what times is, what seasons mean, what ages mean. Because if, if he's divided it in that way, then he is administering it according to these realities. So all of human history is structured and divided into what? Can't hear you. Come on, say it again. Times, seasons, and ages. So to discern the times is not to discern what the devil is doing. He's not in charge. He reacts. So to discern the time is to discern what God is doing. So that we know how to work with the time. How many of you have ever heard, it's not time for that? That's wisdom, folks. Because if you try to do something out of time, you're going to fail at it. I'm going to use this example not to encourage gambling, 
But how many know what happens when a gambler doesn't realize that his season is over? You can be on a winning streak. You got me? You can be on a winning streak and you think that you can push that streak. You can extend the season. Turn your neighbor and say, he's all up in your business now. We do it. We do it with things in life. Come on. We think we can extend the season. How many have had a good stretch of things? Been, how many have been in a good stretch? Things were working, falling into place, and it was like, yeah. And all of a sudden, there's a shift. And instead of you shifting with the season, what do you do? No, 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 wait, wait, wait. And there you are caught between seasons, which is no such thing because you're either one or the other. Trying to extend a season. No, we can't change the seasons. Who's in control of the seasons? Who has power over the seasons? Absolutely, he has power over times, seasons, ages. Can he disrupt them? Has he disrupted them? The coming of Jesus Christ was a major disruption in human history. Times, seasons, ages. Come on, say it with me. Times, seasons, ages. I have one verse that I want to unpack in order to lead us into this conversation. Problem is, I have one verse, but I have no time. How many know you can have a verse in no time? <laughs> and depending upon your level of authority, the position that you hold, you can take the time you don't have. Especially if you've got something called consensus. So chill out for another minute, Mr. Misha. I want to unpack a very familiar verse. It's only going to take me 10 minutes, so we'll only be 10 minutes over. All right? I want to unpack. And those of you at home, you don't care. <laughs> you don't have to leave your living room. <laughs> and see, that's a wise man, Minister Misha. He went back to his seat and took out his notes. Because he doesn't want to miss the next 10 minutes. See, someone who, wasn't, who doesn't get it would have simply stood there and waited. Commend you, Minister Misha. You've chosen the best part. Like Mary. How many have ever heard of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3? Let's go to it. I want to unpack it. I want to unpack it. And really, we'll stay within the framework. Hebrews 11.3, if we can get it up on the screen. King James Version. It says, through what? 
I can't hear you. Through what? Through. Through. Faith. Through faith, we understand. Show you, show you how to break down a text. Through faith, we what? Understand. We understand. How do we understand? How do we understand? We understand whatever it is that's going to be in this text. Through faith, we what? We understand. So it takes faith to understand what we're about to read. Got it? Through faith, we understand what? That the, the worlds, stop right there. The word worlds there in the Greek is the word eon, which is our English word ages. So it is in the plural, the Greek word. You want to know how to spell? A-I-O-N. That's the Greek. But it's in the plural, and there's debate about that, but most scholars will land and agree. Number one, they have to agree it's in the plural. So the word world there means universe, but it also means ages. And we're going to define ages. Not today, but we'll define ages. So... Through faith, what do we understand? That the worlds were framed by the word of God. And is that consistent with John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things were made by him and without him, without anything made that was made. Consistent, right? So, through faith, we understand that the worlds, the universe, or the ages were framed, and to be framed means formed and filled with content. We're going to break it down. By the word of God, so that things which are, come on, seen were not made of things which do appear. I want to go over that again. Are you ready? So that things which are what? Seen, which is the visible world. This visible material existence, right? That we experience by sight, taste, touch, smell, hearing, right? This visible world of existence was not made by things which are seen, but made by things which what? That do not appear. In other words, listen, most of life is influenced and shaped by what goes on behind the scenes. I'm going to write, I, you need to write, I wrote it down, it's in my notes. You need to write that down. Most of life, the things that are seen, were made of things which do not appear. This is very, very important. Because I'm not just talking about the material world, but things in life. 
Situations that you experience are born of things that are not visibly apparent. And you've got to look a little deeper in order to understand what's behind it. Come on, have you ever been there? You've got to look real close. Sometimes you've got to investigate in order to find out what's behind. How many have ever asked a question? You're wondering, I wonder what's behind all this. What are you, con- what are you admitting? The text that was up there. Okay. <laughs> what are you admitting? That what appears, right, is not made of things which are apparent. That what's visible is not made of things that are apparent. So how can you understand the visible without understanding what it's made of? The unseen. I will tell you, in business transactions, things that are happening, when I read the newspaper, right, and, and, and I read an article about someone doing something, the first thing in my mind is, what's behind all that? And that's what we wrestle with in our society because whether it's a mass shooting in Buffalo or most recent, you know, the most recent mass shooting in Buffalo or, or, or uh, Uvalde, Texas, our question, what's behind? What's behind that kind of violent action? What's going on in the mind of the individual who perpetrated it? What's going on in the police and her in terms of how they responded? We are searching to find out what is not apparent. Is that real? That's very, very real. When all of a sudden there's a ga- yes, this cracks me up. They can announce today there's a gas crisis. And all of a sudden, people are lined up to get gas. They can announce tomorrow it's over. And I want to know where they got all that gas from overnight. <laughs> I'm just like, am I alone on the planet here or what? When decisions and policies are rolled out that affect people in a certain way, my question is, what's behind that? Because there's what's visible, but what is visible was made of things that are not visible, that don't appear. And you've got to dig deeper. That's the way of life, folks. So let's talk about faith. What kind of faith is the text speaking of? Is it speaking of the faith that you exercise in order to believe God for a parking space? Oh, come on, stop it. How many have ever believed God for a parking space? Raise your hand. Confess! Circle in the block and praying, Jesus, just bless me with a parking space. We trust God from the great to the mundane, from the big to the little. That's because we walk by, not by, even if we don't see a space. (laughs) Somebody's going to be moving out. Then when they move out, we move it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
because that's how we live. This is not talking about the faith you're believing for your new car or believing for your new house. This is talking about faith as an inherent, enduring trust. This is not something you turn off and on. This is a state of existence. This is, this is an inherent enduring trust. In other words, no matter what happens externally, it doesn't change your position. It doesn't change what you believe. I'm, I want to try and finish in English. It's an inherent, something settled inside of you. Something established inside of you that's non-negotiable. And if it's ever challenged, you rise up against it. You rise up against the challenge. It's inherent. It's inherent. That's why Jesus said, marvel not that you must be born again. Because until you experience that transformation, this kind of faith is not inherent. It is a deep and profound consciousness of the presence and activity of God in everything. What faith am I talking about? I'm glad you asked. I got 10 seconds. It's an inherent, enduring trust that permeates our understanding and our perception of ourselves and the world around us. You want me to say that again? It is an inherent and enduring trust that permeates our understanding and our perception of ourselves and the world around us. It influences our understanding and perception of people, places, events, things, circumstances, situations, social systems, structures, everything. It is a lens through which we see, experience, and understand life. This is the kind of faith the text is speaking of. It's a faith that defines me in relationship with God. I'm going to try that one more time. It is a, a faith that defines me in my relationship with God. It's a faith that sets me apart from the rest of the world. It's a faith that Paul says every man does not have this kind of faith. There is that faith that's every day, that's built into everyday life, that all humans experience, right? This is talking about something different. And this is the kind of faith that can embrace the fact that God is in charge of times, seasons, and ages. 
So when we see certain characteristics in society, we begin to understand it and perceive it through that lens of faith. God is in, whoa, what's God doing here? Mmm, mmm, mmm. Have you ever been there where all you can say is, mmm, mmm, and you're just working through it and exercising discernment, trying to discern it. Now we know that's a process, and you have to learn and grow in your discernment to get better at your discernment, and it's the Word that empowers your discernment, not attending a conference and being prayed for. I caught myself. See, I was going to say something else. I was going to tell you how much the conference cost. <laughs> it is that inherent, enduring trust. And what are we trusting in? I'm glad you asked. Because it means you'll be back next week. <laughs> as we continue. Times, seasons, ages. Did you get anything out of this today? Let us stand and give God a praise for his word. Did our hearts burn because of his word? But before Minister Misha gets into it, someone asked me this past week, I was talking to a mentee of mine, and they asked me, said, said, so what's, what's the most, what's the primary thing for you? And I said, wisdom. And they said, well, why wisdom? I said, because wisdom is the principal thing. By wisdom, God made the universe. He ordered it and filled it by wisdom. It is wisdom that helps me navigate life. It is wisdom that conditions my response to things that happen. It is wisdom that makes the deal. It is wisdom that opens the door. It is wisdom. How many understand what I'm talking about? Wisdom is the principal thing. But that's me. I'll leave you to decide what's important. And wisdom, I'm talking about godly wisdom, that wisdom which comes from God. Because there's earthly wisdom, there's human wisdom, but I'm talking about that wisdom that comes from God. Let's give God another praise offering for his word. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate his word. And now, Minister Misha. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. The challenge of working here and worshiping here is that you have to study and pray with one eye open. <laughs> Otherwise, you can relax and start chewing on a word and somehow be 10 minutes early and 10 minutes late to the same service. <laughs> now, we close every service by saying Jesus is Lord, but we can't do that without giving someone the opportunity to make him Lord. Beloved, I once attended a talk by the late great Native American theologian Richard Twiss, and he came before us and said, I have only a few minutes, but I want you to know, he said, they are Native minutes. They are patient, kind, selfless, and full of grace. Not, he said, like white man minutes that are stiff, inflexible, condemning, and harsh. Pastor, you need some Native minutes. 
But Pastor gave us the gospel according to Vegas. We have to know the signs of the times and the sign that time's up. And then with your consensus, he pulled a digital Joshua and made the clock stop for 10 minutes. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God for 10 minutes of grace. You don't know who needed that 10 minutes. And you don't know what they got from it. Amen. Amen. Now, we have no state religion but we make ourselves into gods. We have no monarch, but like the people of Israel in Samuel's day, we are quick to clamor for a king. This is why we need to grow roots. Without them, we will neither recognize Jesus when he comes nor keep following him when trials come. Truth will transform your life. Not style, though it is great. Not charisma, though it attracts. Not production, though it enhances. Not our own ethnic and cultural identifiers, though they anchor and enrich our lives. Truth transforms. And we have to feed ourselves the word that will transform us. Eating once a week will leave you sluggish on Sunday and cranky, listless, and unhealthy throughout the week. Eating once every four years will leave you out of shape and out of touch for most of your days. You can't be woke if you spend most of your time asleep. But God can wake you up. God will show you the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the things that are seen are made of things that are unseen, then the only way we'll, we'll, we will see, I'm going to finish this in English too, the only way we will see is by seeing through God's eyes. But by faith, God will show us. And that is good news. Yeah. The good news is that a holy God so loved a rebellious world that he sent his only begotten son to live a sinless life, die in our place, and rise from the grave conquering death. And in doing so, he paid a price for our sin and gives us a right to everlasting life. The good news is that healing is the children's bread. The good news is that God can redeem humanity and restore Eden. The good news is that we can't. We make terrible gods. We will never know enough, but the good news is we can know him today. We can be saved. Yeah. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you'd like to do that, I'd like to pray with you. So with every head bowed, and every eye closed, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd like to pray with you now. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you need truth, I want to pray for you. All you need to do is raise your hand. And if you need freedom or peace or hope or the love of God, I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. And if you walked with God, no matter how long you walked with God and walked away, I'm also going to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm going to ask everyone who has raised their hand in this moment or hasn't, but know that I'm talking to you. I'm just going to ask you to take one step of faith. Come down to this altar so that we, as the church, can pray for you together. Mm -hmm. Beloved, let us applaud them. Let us encourage them as they come. Let us encourage them as they are thinking about coming. Let us give encouragement to that one person who's still sitting in their seat, that one person who God is tugging on your heart right now. You know that you should come. You know that you're near a breaking point, but you think people are looking at you. You're wondering what people will think. And I want to just say to you today and come into agreement with the prayers of all of these people in this place right now that God is waiting for you and we are rooting for you. And this moment has been ordained in heaven before any of us were formed in our mother's womb. 
wounds. So let us praise God for this moment. Let us praise God for the people who are at this altar. Let us praise God as they continue to come up. Let us encourage them. Let us praise God that he is not finished with any of us yet, that his word will not return to him forward. Let us praise God that there is good seed in good ground in this place and that people can be planted and rooted and start their lives with Jesus in this place, in this moment. Let us praise God and praise him some more. Yeah. Now, we have two calls, a call for salvation and a call for renewal. I need to know who is coming for the very first time. Is anyone? Okay. Who is coming back? Who is coming up? Who is coming forward? Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, since we have you here and we have people out there, we're going to pray both prayers together. So for salvation, just repeat after me. Father. Father. Thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity to open my heart to your love for me. I acknowledge my sin. I believe that Christ died on the cross and rose again to pay the price for my sin. And I confess him now as Lord and Savior and your word says, I'm born again. I am your child. You are my God. Thank you, Lord. I will never be perfect, but I am forever changed. Now for rededication, pray this. Father, I thank you that every day your mercies are new. Thank you that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you for restoration. Thank you for renewal. Thank you for reconciliation. Thank you for revival. I trust you, Lord, and I give you the praise in Jesus' name. And family, now let us just take this moment and worship. Take this moment and praise God for what he is doing in the lives of his people. Praise God for a new moment in time. Now, family and those at home, if you prayed that prayer, we believe you are born again. If we prayed that prayer, we believe that you are resuming your walk, starting a new walk with Christ. Change is not an event. It is a process. So if you answered the call for salvation, we have some ministers who would like to share some information with you. I think my elder Beverly is... You're leading it. My elder Beverly is going to be taking them out, and I'll be joining you in the room momentarily. So which... To the, to the right. To the right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I just work here, by the way, so just... Praise the Lord. That's an adjustment for us all. Um, so if you're in the sanctuary, turn to your left, my right, and follow our elder. If you are watching online, please call or text the number on your screen. We have some people who are waiting to speak with you. Once again, God bless you. Congratulations. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome up. Welcome home. And we are continuing to believe for God's hand in your life because you will never be the same. Amen. Come on. We can do better than that. Come on, let's show some love and appreciation for Minister Misha Field. Let me just say this to you. You know, th that's a gift that he has. He sits there and recaps the whole service live. 
Even if it's interrupted and he's given an extra 10 minutes, he comes back with it. I can imagine what Lori has to deal with at home. But praise the Lord. Amen. Were you blessed today? Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. You sent your word to heal us and to deliver us from our destruction. You declared that your word will not return to you empty, void, but will prosper in the thing to which it is sent, in the life to which it is sent. And as many as receive that word, they not only become the children of God, but they go through the door out into pasture and experience the flourishing life that you desire for us all. Thank you for your word today. We bless you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give God a good hand clap offering. Let's say something as we leave this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless.